0: hey good morning everyone Uh, it's so good to be back in sunny chicago it is sunny and uh, although it's a shock to my body because i just flew in from south africa doing some work there it was 95 degrees so to go from 95 to i think uh, 10 or so degrees but god is good and gracious um, hey, uh, a couple things that I wanted to share with you. You know, a few years ago, I think about three years ago, uh, I had one of the greatest, I think, privileges and honors. Uh, I was invited by Dr. King's family, his daughter, uh, Dr. Bernice King, his youngest daughter, and their family uh, gave me this special uh, privilege uh, and invited me to speak at Ebenezer Baptist Church on MLK Day about three years ago. It was the greatest Seven hour service I've ever been a part of. Seven hours. And in that seven hours, uh, they gave me 10 minutes, but I learned so much during that time. And so there's going to be a couple things that I'll be sharing today. On this MLK weekend at Willow Church. And I'm really excited and privileged to be here. But I want to just also share with you, kind of give you a heads up, that parts of today's talk is going to be a little uncomfortable. It's going to be a little challenging. And I think that's okay. Because the gospel, it both comforts us, but it also ought to disrupt us a little bit. We need both for our hearts and soul. Sometimes I feel like in the Western context, we're so moved and compelled and attracted to a gospel that comforts us and we altogether sometimes neglect the gospel that challenges us. So my prayer is that the gospel, the Holy Spirit might do both for us, but there's going to be a couple things today that will make you feel a little uncomfortable. And if that's the case, then go ahead and talk to Pastor Steve. His email is whatwouldjesusemail at gmail.com. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to refer to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10 at this time. So John chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For Jews do not, I'm sorry, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Amen. Now, I want to begin by first sharing something about Dr. King, and then we'll get into this text. And my hope and prayer is that you and I will be learning and being challenged by four practical points from our passage as we reflect on the Word of God and also on Dr. King's life. But let's first talk about this larger point that I want to make about Dr. King. Today, nearly everyone loves Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He's universally loved and respected. He's among the most admired people, not just in the United States, but actually all around the world. Just this past week, I mentioned to you that I was in South Africa. His name came up on several occasions. And it's really interesting because you and I all know that we're living in a very polarized, contentious political landscape in our nation. But you are going to hear people from all sides, all political parties, convey their admiration for Dr. King. Now, this is a good thing. It's not bad at all to have a day tomorrow, a federal holiday to celebrate his life, his leadership and his legacy, to have churches across the land, including Willow, honor this servant of Christ, this pastor and this prophet. It's indeed a good and beautiful thing. I want you to know that as a fellow brother in Christ, I'm so encouraged that you as a body of Christ, that you're choosing to honor him and to honor the God who deposited that dream into this servant. But it's really important that we take a moment to understand that time has a tendency of softening the edges about a person. Or about an event or about an entire movement as you witnessed in that video that we shared earlier during service. In other words, as human beings, we have a temptation or a tendency to domesticate or placate or producify or Disneyize certain things. Dr. Cornell West, who happens to be a professor at Harvard University, he calls this process, quote, the Santa classification of a figure. This is why in today's landscape, as we reflect back on Dr. King, we sometimes forget, neglect, or altogether forget how unpopular and even hated Dr. King was during his time. He was hated. In 1966, which was the last year that the Gallup polls measured King's influence in society, it showed that 63%. Saw Dr. Kim, King in a very negative light. A very negative light, which is a stark contrast to today where over 95% of society have deep respect and reverence for him. So before we get into the sermon, we need to understand that Dr. King was deeply misunderstood. He was vilified, rejected, accused, lest we forget, he was threatened and harassed, bullied, beaten, bombed, stabbed, jailed 29 times. And ultimately killed. This is why that even though perhaps There's something within us that wants to have a fuzzy Dr. King celebration weekend. We need to take a moment to pause and assess the cost of his faithfulness to the dream that God deposited in his life. Today and tomorrow on MLK Day, let's be honest, you're going to have a lot of people sharing social media quotes from Dr. King. And again, it's good. But I think herein lies the conundrum, the the tension, the dilemma. What I'm trying to tell you is that if we're not careful, as we embellish the past, it's possible that for you and for me, as we're talking about issues like justice and reconciliation, those were the things that Dr. King was about because they were the things that they believed was also part of the whole gospel message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus saves, but Jesus is also at work in our broken world, redeeming, restoring, reconciling the world back unto God. And as Dr. King is talking about justice. And I want to take a moment to just give you a very simple working definition of justice. To pursue justice, which is what the Bible encourages us to do. To pursue justice is to consider that which has been wronged or broken and severed, God's creation, God's intention... For human flourishing in this world, justice is to right that which has been wronged. That's the work of justice. When we speak about reconciliation, we speak about division and disconnect that exists in our relationship with God and also our relationship with fellow humanity. So the call and the ministry of reconciliation is to pursue that reconnection with God and with one another. Now, in the Christian world, and at Willow, let's just be honest. Don't raise your hands, but if I were to ask you a rhetorical question, how many of us love justice all of our hands should go up? And of course... As Christians, how can we not love justice? If I were to ask you who here loves reconciliation, all of our hands should rightfully go up. But I think this is the conundrum. let me say this, it's quite possible that we're more in love with the ideas of justice, more in love with the ideas of reconciliation. Let me go here. It's a little uncomfortable. It's possible that we may have Jesus on our lips, but we're more in love with the idea of Jesus than actually following Jesus. That's discipleship. That's the call or what it means. Now, when we're speaking about justice or reconciliation, here's what, what I want to tell you. Everyone loves the idea of reconciliation, period, until we realize that reconciliation involves confessing, confronting, truth-telling, repenting, dismantling, forgiving, and bridge-building. This is why it's... Surely easier to be about the ideas of certain things. This is the unique distinction of Dr. King. And this is what God is calling each and everyone, uh, every one of us to pursue. This is why Jesus himself says, count the costs, carry your cross, and follow me. Now, let's dive into our scripture passage We're not going to have the time to be able to do a deep study of it. But I want to turn your attention to the fourth verse in the Gospel of John chapter 4. It reads very simple. Now he had to go through Samaria. Obviously, he refers to Jesus. So now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Let's pause for a moment. Jesus didn't have to do anything. Because he's Jesus. That's really important. That means that anytime Jesus does something, says something, he's giving us a glimpse of His heart, his character, He's giving us a vision and imagination of the kingdom of God. Now, why does Jesus? have to go through Samaria. Now, it's not recorded in the scriptures, but in my imagination, he has a conversation with the disciples that goes like this. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, disciples, we have to go up north and we're going to go through Samaria. And the disciples respond by saying, are you crazy? Are you insane? Now, why? Well, we have to study a thing called maps. I don't know if you know what a map is, but in our digital technology, I love maps. Now, this is more of a simplified map of the region in which Jesus lived and conducted his ministry. So as we read in John 4, Jesus and the disciples, they're in the southern region called Judea. Jerusalem is in the southern region. The Bible tells us that they needed to go up north. So I want you to imagine in Jerusalem, if they needed to go up to Cana in Galilee, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that the quickest way from point A to point B is a straight line. Look at the stage for a second. If I want to get to that light right on the edge of that stage, I would simply take a direct line, and it would take me about eight steps. The problem during the times of Jesus is that folks that were traveling north, south, and vice versa, they rarely traveled in a straight line because there was a large chunk of land called Samaria occupied by a group of people called Samaritans and there was deep hostility and tension between these two groups of people. Now, it's very complicated but it begins from 2 Kings in the Old Testament in chapter 17 with a tension that continues to brew and grow and fester and it's not just for a day. It's not just for a week. It's not just a month or a year or a decade. It festers for generations upon generations upon generations to the point that when Jesus arrives in the scene, there's a reason why several of his stories involve Samaritans. Why? You see, Samaritans, they were considered by the Jewish people as dirty, unclean, inferior. Half-breeds, contaminated, lesser than. They dehumanize them. They otherize them. They villainize them. And it continue to grow and grow and grow. This is why, listen carefully, Willow. This is why Jesus says, you know what? We have to walk through Samaria. Because I'm here not just to give nice convenient, comfortable sermons. I'm here, not just with my words, but literally in my very walking, I want to dismantle structures and institutions and injustice. And I want to give people a vision of the kingdom of God, where we'll break down barriers of hatred, of racism, of prejudice, and instead to bring up faith hope, love, and reconciliation, you get this? Jesus had to walk through Samaria. So the question that you and I have to ask ourselves is, are there still Samarias in our world? Are there still Samarias in your own heart or your own mind? Are there Samarias in Chicagoland? Are there Samarias all around us? Because as followers of Jesus, and I know Willow Creek enough, I've been here enough to know that you care about justice. You care about the heart of God. You care about compassion. You care about reconciliation. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable. Is it possible that for me, perhaps for some of you that we're more in love with the idea of Samaria than actually walking through Samaria. You see... We can talk about Samaria. We can sing songs about Samaria. We could have a conference about Samaria. We could have high church liturgy. We could do choirs about Samaria. We could strategize and theologize. We could hashtag about Samaria. You can do all of these things and still not walk through Samaria. If I'm losing you, and it's quite possible, I'm not sure, let me give you a modern metaphor to kind of drive the point here. Here's the modern metaphor. I love exercise, as you can tell by my physique. <laughs> Cameras, zoom in on my muscles. No, don't do that. Now you're laughing because something doesn't seem right. This is not necessarily a professional athletic body. The truth is, I don't love exercise. I love the idea of exercise. And they're two very different things. In fact, I had a gym membership for over 10 years. I got a gym membership many years ago. It was a great deal. It was our local neighborhood gym, $9 and 95 cents. What a steal. A few months later, this big conglomerate company called 24 hours acquired that particular gym. And by government acquisition laws, they had to grandfather my rates in for life. What a deal. So for 10 years, I went to the gym once (laughs) don't judge me some of you are thinking too late my wife and i we have a treadmill in the basement of our home it's nice but it's covered by coats and jackets and blankets Somehow, my tablet downloads. I actually subscribe to health and fitness magazines. It doesn't mean that I read it. We have apparatuses at our home that has or ends with the word buster. Like thigh buster. Buttocks buster. Ab busters. Do you know... Hold on for a second. Woo! I just did 20 push ups. Right Do you know how many calories you lose thinking about exercise? You see my point. James, in the New Testament, that's why James says, faith without works is dead we can talk about justice and reconciliation we can talk about Samaria the reason why I so deeply admire Dr. King is that he counted the cost and he said I'm still going to go through Samaria so what does this mean for you and I well there's four things that I'd like to submit to you for your consideration, for your prayer and wrestling. Four things that I think will help every single one of us on some level or another. Here's the first one. The first one is that we need a theology of justice. Now, don't be scared by the word theology. The word theology isn't something that we do in an ivory tower. Theology, what we believe, based in scriptures, on the life of Jesus, guided by the Holy Spirit, it informs the way that I choose to live my life. I want you to realize that every single one of us, as followers of Jesus, we need a biblical, robust theology of justice. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean. On this pulpit... I want you to use your imagination and pretend there's a box right here. This box represents God. Now, I know you're not supposed to put God in a box, but just stay with me. Here's a box, and inside the box represents the attributes of who God is. If I were to extract love out of God's character... You would be furious because how can we speak or know of God without knowing the love of God? It's impossible incongruent for us to think speak worship god without also speaking about the love of god if we were to extract grace out of god's character the only reason why you and i are able to be here on this sunday morning is because of the grace of our lord jesus christ if we were to extract holiness out of god's character I know that maybe in our modern culture, we feel uncomfortable speaking about the holiness of God. In the Old Testament, Isaiah, in his human limitations, as he's trying to articulate the holiness of God, the only thing that Isaiah can do is just repeat himself. You are holy, holy, holy. So my question to you, my question to the church, Is what happened in the history of the church that we extracted justice out of God's character and called it an agenda, an issue. Sometimes in the church, I'll be speaking about God's character, God's commitment to justice, because when you read the scriptures, Old Testament, there are so many verses that speak about God's commitment to justice for orphans and widows, for those who are foreigners, for those who are hurting God's commitment to these things. When you study the New Testament, clearly we see Jesus embodying those very things. You see... Justice matters to the heart of God, and therefore, it must matter to us. It's not a secondary issue, a tertiary issue, a peripheral issue. It's not just a conference or one weekend service. It's not an accessory that you wear when it's warm or cold outside. Justice is part of our discipleship because it's part of the character of God this might be a good time for someone to clap because it's so important. (laughs) Isaiah 61.8, I, the Lord, love justice. Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you? Seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Here's the second thing, relationships, Matter to Jesus and therefore must matter to the people of God. Now, these conversations about justice and reconciliation are actually very, very profound and deep. So we're just kind of giving you a surface teaching. But I really believe that one of the most profound and important things that you and I can do is to build relationships with other human beings. Including those that don't look like you, think like you, feel like you, and I'm going to go there, even vote like you. The church has the capacity. Last month, I had the privilege of being with you at Willow, and we celebrated communion. Can you imagine a communion at a church where we had a line for the left and the right and a gluten-free option for the independents? The church has the capacity to do that which our larger culture cannot do. And it begins by our humility to engage in friendship and relationship. And let me give you an example. In 2014, there was a horrific shooting of a gentleman by the name of Michael Brown. It was in August. It was such a horrific and painful situation. During this time or after this situation, there was a survey taken about the landscape of relationships in the United States. Now, the survey, while imperfect, because all surveys are not perfect, it asked the question of a hundred friend scenario of each person to assess their circle of friendships so for example in a hundred friend scenario the average white person has 91 white friends one each of black latino asian mixed races and the others were unknown the average black person on the other hand, has 83 black friends, eight white friends, two Latino friends, zero Asian friends, what's up? (laughs) Three mixed-race friends, and four friends of unknown race. For Asians, they actually came out as one of the most insular groups of people. So think about this. We're having conversations that are so deep and profound and painful, and we're not actually engaging it with people that we have any sort of friendship or relationship with. That's the challenge. I'm not suggesting that relationships are going to solve all things, but Jesus, who performed amazing miracles, healings, teaching to thousands upon thousands of people, it stuns me that some of the most profound glimpses of his ministry was across a meal at the well, looking at each person to say, I See you. To say you are created in the image of God. So here's this woman, the Samaritan woman who's been an outcast, judged, vilified. Likely, she's that person in that village wherever she went. People began to whisper about her. She's this horrible person. She's so unfaithful. Think about all of those horrible adjectives that we might use. And Jesus comes and speaks to her with both truth and grace and offers her the living water himself. Don't discount the power of relationships. My encouragement to you, if Willow is your church, don't just come and go. Don't just be a consumer. Don't just look at church as a a 90 or 100-minute service. To know, to be known, to share your stories, to listen to stories, to empathize with other people's pain and joy, and together aspire to be the people of God. Here is the third thing. The third thing is this, hearts must change, but so must structures and systems. Now, I'm going to invite some friends, actually the worship team, to come on stage. And if they could just come on stage behind me. And as they come up, I want you to know, let me explain to you what I mean by this. Because a lot of folks have a hard time with this particular um, encouragement that we can apply in our life. When I speak to Christians about justice or reconciliation, the most pervasive response I get is, well, Eugene, if hearts change, then injustice will disappear. Now, in some ways, I agree. We should pray that hearts will change, that men, women, and children would come to know Jesus the Christ as their Lord and Savior. But I sometimes think that we can be so naive that we don't understand that sin not only wreaks havoc in individual lives. The Bible speaks about principalities of power and darkness that create systems or structures. So here's a clear example, like prostitution, human trafficking is an industry in the world. It's a system that's just egregious and disgusting and sinful. So you might say, well, if we change someone, the whole thing might disappear. And I would say that's too naive. Now, I wanna share a picture with you. And let me just first give you a warning, it's a very uncomfortable, painful image. And it comes from the 1920s to 30s, from the Jim Crow era. This was the very thing that Dr. King was fighting against. Okay, let me kind of set that up. And here's the image. But notice the pain And the irony of the words, Jesus saves that this would happen in a church and that we would actually perpetuate dangerous, false theology to therefore prove our viewpoint. Now, let me give you another example to kind of maybe help you understand what I mean by structures. So you guys clearly know these three brothers we're so grateful for their, the ways that they served the church through their musical talents and voices. Let's just say that uh, the four of us are not yet believers of Jesus. But as we gather together, what ends up happening is that we're going to create a way of doing things. Our friendship, our conversation, our language. When human beings gather together, we create what anthropologists call culture. Uh, Think about hospitals, and leadership, and education, and schools, and the imagination goes on. Now, if we're honest, what ends up happening is that I will create a way of doing things that most often benefit me, because that's what humans do, me, myself, and I so imagine the four of us we're kind of gathering together and we're creating some sort of a system some of it might be good but some of it might actually not be God honoring so you might say well it's a heart issue so here's Matt beloved Matt we know that he's right now pre-Jesus a sinner he's a Patriots fan and the list goes on <laughs> and, so, and so here's Matt and you'll say well If he just accepts Jesus, well, praise God, he accepts Jesus. But what happens is that even though he's accepted Jesus and Marshall's accepted Jesus and Lonnie's accepted Jesus is that we've actually created certain things. And some of it might not be God honoring. This is why hearts change, but we have to have the courage to look at our systems and structures. Lori, can you just come forward for a second? So we'll say, you know what, something feels a little off about this. It's just all men. Something feels incomplete because it doesn't give us a more fuller picture of the kingdom of God. So we're so glad that Lori comes to also know Jesus, but let's put her in the back. But man, we're so grateful that we support women and elevate women, but take care of weddings and events. (sighs) But something feels a little off. Cindy and the trees, can you guys come forward as well? Uh, We have some more women, that's great, but just go ahead and stand in the back. Something feels a little off. And as we're talking about Dr. King and the beloved community, you don't have to look far. In the scriptures, we have a glimpse of the kingdom of God where all tongues, all ethnicities, all tribes, all people will come to know Jesus Christ if they place their trust in Jesus Christ. And so I'm so grateful. Brothers, if you guys can come forward as well, but at this time, let's go ahead and just... Become this beloved community. Can you just stand wherever you guys want? And here's the thing. We need every single person here. We cannot be the church without women and men. We cannot be the church without reflecting all the diverse cultures and languages of Chicagoland and beyond. Because God is able to do that which might seem impossible in our culture and society. So, listen, folks, God sees every single one of you. Willow needs you. Thank you for being here. Willow needs every single one of you. Let's give them a big round of applause. And folks, let me close with the fourth point, and it's this. We long for transformation. We long for transformation. This passage in John 4 is a story of transformation. This woman who was marginalized, ostracized, Had several strikes against her. Jesus sees her and she's transformed by the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does she do? It's so captivating. She doesn't just keep it to herself. She goes back to that very same village that ostracized her. She's the greatest, the most underrated evangelist in church history. Her village, many people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, professes that Jesus is the living water. And I am so grateful because Jesus sees this woman and sees every single one of you. That's what we need today. If you believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, stand up right now. If you believe that he is the great healer for a broken, hurting world, stand up. If you believe that Jesus is the great reconciler, stand up. If you believe that Jesus is the way maker, stand up. And here it is, listen, if you're standing up, then stand up for justice. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. Stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you.